This is the Tenkara Angler Level Line Podcast, your home for smart discussion about Tenkara and other forms of fixed line fly fishing. Welcome to the, uh, the Tenkara Angler Level Line Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Agnetta. I'm the senior editor at Tenkara Angler. I'm being joined tonight with, uh, by Matt Smith, um, fellow editor of Tenkara Angler. How you doing, Matt? Doing great, Mike. Good to be here. Awesome. Good to have you. And we're uh, being joined, I guess, for our maiden podcast uh, video, whatever you want to call it, uh, with Tom Bailey uh, from uh, Tenkar Adventure Outfitters. Um, he's here, uh, jo- agreed to join us tonight, talk a little bit of Tenkar, give us a little bit more information about himself and his company. So, uh, Tom, why don't you, uh, you know, say hi to everybody, introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Thanks, Matt and Michael, for having me on the inaugural uh, video podcast uh, for Tenkar Angler. I really appreciate it and look forward to uh, um, having a conversation with everybody, and I hope everybody enjoys this when it's all said and done. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, we'll just dive right in. And obviously, like, like I'd love to keep this con- uh, you know, conversational and not necessarily like a strict interview. So we'll, we'll kind of kick it over to you, Tom, first. Um, you know, why don't you give us a little bit of background you know, on yourself, your, your fishing, your company, however you want to take it, and we'll kind of go from there. Sounds good. And if I get too wordy or if anybody has a question and wants to jump in, feel free. Uh, not going to bother me at all. But, um, but um, the owner-operator, CEO of uh, Tenkar Adventure Outfitters, something we like to abbreviate at times as TAU, um, I personally am located here in the middle of the country, right smack dab in the middle of the Midwest. Unfortunately, not close to any real good trout streams. The closest one we have to us is three hours away. Um, but the good news is, is that I am about anywhere from five to eight hours away in any direction from world-class fishing, trout fishing, whether it be on the front range of the mountains, seven and a half hours, whether it's down um, the Ozarks, Arkansas area, which is also about seven and a half hours. Of course, the drift list for me starts about five and a half hours from here. Um, and, of course, can get longer the deeper and further north you go. So I don't know if that's good news, bad news. Bad news, <laughs> nothing a weekend away. Good news is it's a short three-day weekend all across the United States. So I'm, I'm real happy with that. Um, we're a lifelong outdoorsman, fishing, hunting. Um, I tend to migrate towards the real simpler um, types of um, activities, you know, no no ranger bass boats for me. Let's stick with uh, tubes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Longbows and now Tinkara. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, got me interested in Tinkara was just the simplified, stripped-down method of fishing that it is. Um, when I'm not uh, pretending to be a fisherman, I'm also employed in the world of finance. So I hope that nobody holds that against me. Um, I, I'm in the banking system, um, which certainly has its ups and downs, but um, altogether, it keeps me pretty busy. Cool. Well, uh, back, back up a moment here, Robin Hood. Did you say that you, you're you into longbows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, compounds, longbows, um, crossbows, um, but I do enjoy the longbows the most. Outstanding. Like, do, do, you, do you produce them, or do you make them, or, or shoot them? Do you compete, uh, hunt? Uh... Like what? What do you use the bows for? So in my so in my past life, um, I was a sponsored professional archer for compound shooting. Wow! I was, uh, I was sponsored by Precision uh, PSE Precision Shooting Equipment, and then I was also sponsored for Martin Archery. And so I've I've actually shot on the world stage. I've been to uh, the world events in Las Vegas. I participated in the nationals um, in Kentucky, Oklahoma. Um, and of course, a lot of regional tournaments too. Um, and I actually got out of that at the high point of my career. I just, uh, we were just winning a lot and placing well and doing things. And I just came home one day and just kind of said, I'm just going to hunt and not worry about the competitive side of it. I had already always hunted, but I had not, you know, mm-hmm. also did as well. And the reason was, is just to get that last little 10% to really stand there toe to toe with the best of the best. That just that last little bit, I knew I was going to have to really practice a lot more. And I just wanted to reallocate my time differently um, than to, I was about 500 arrows a week. And I was pretty sure I was going to be moving to 1,000 or 1,500 arrows a week. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, practicing. I mean, we, 
I, I mean, we'd shoot indoors um, at 20 yards, and then we'd also shoot outdoors up to 90 meters, almost the length of a football field, depending on the game that we were playing. Um, so saying that, during that whole time, I also dabbled in longbows and hunted with the longbows and that kind of thing. And that certainly, once I got out of the competitive aspect of it, and I didn't have to be toting a compound around for my sponsors um, all the time, whether it was in the field uh, or on the target range, I just pretty much strictly went to the longbow. It's a 50-pound longbow. The one I particularly use is um, made by a company that's um, out of business from Canada. It was a small one-off craft producer of them. Um, I have not um, I have not made my own yet. Um, the, the primitive style where you just take a self-bow and whittle it down into a single growth ring and, and shoot that. I've not done that yet. But on a side note, I have gone even more primitive to that, and I've spent the last three years um, hunting with an atlatl, which is a spear type throwing device that's crazy yeah too cool yeah so so naturally that's a whole rabbit hole that i would love to dive down with you but i but i know we we need to kind of remain somewhat focused on the tinkara aspect Uh, uh, i did i was on your website a little bit earlier tom and i saw a picture i guess it's of your of, of a bow quiver and you had a bunch of bows like in the quiver with a tinkara rod right kind of wedged in with them is that exactly. something that you actually use? Like, have you have you done like a shoot and fish type outing? Yeah, actually, I have absolutely. So the I think it's the Scout model. Don't quote me on that. That you might see in there, and it just perfectly fits in the bow quiver slots. Um, so that can sit there, and it goes around with me, and, and it's not would not be unusual for me to hunt during the morning when the deer are more active, coming back from feeding to the bedding areas, and then I will. Um, Depending on where I'm hunting, sometimes I head home. But if I'm away from home, I'll definitely try to find me a, a small waterway or a walk, you know, a creek or something um, to pass the time. Um, that one um, trout stream that I mentioned that's close to uh, to um, here. I've actually, um, and of course, we didn't do this with a bow. I was up there with a shotgun, but we have hunted turkeys in the morning with a shotgun and then fished the trout stream in the afternoon and just kept our ears open for gobbles. And yeah. uh, we heard one, collapse the tenkara rod, throw it in the pack, and then grab the shotgun and head away to wherever you hear the gobbles and set up on them and try to try to shoot a turkey. So, yeah, I've definitely cast and blasted, and I've definitely uh, cast and bowed um, with the tenkara rod, which is, it, it adds a different dimension. It's really fun. That's, that's awesome. It's a whole different type of grand slam, I guess you could potentially get. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a surf and turf thing. It is. It is. So yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, I I've not um, been able to get out elk hunting for the last few years, but if the next time that I do, I'll definitely throw the tinkara rods in because, I mean, there's no. I mean, I don't know how many times I have you know just stopped along a rock and rested, or I had been looking at a trout in some of the streams up in that area, and then you see an elk walk, you know, twenty yards downstream from you, so it's almost two for one. Yeah. I mean, it's so quiet and you're, you're not really disturbing the area, you know, when you're fishing that, I mean, how many times have you been in a stream mat and you've seen a mule deer cross or a bear or, you know, um, it's happened to me quite frequently. And if I was, had the right, right gear, I could certainly take a shot at one. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and like, uh, you know, I, I'm particularly careful in, in tight cover, uh, around waterways, especially out here now in the, in the Rockies to uh, actually make a little bit extra noise uh, because I'm always paranoid that I'm going to, you know, basically sneak up on something and we're going to have a, a closer encounter than we need to. So it's kind of the opposite uh, for me, but uh, yeah, you know, I think if you're, if you're trying to stealth into an area like that, it just really uh, moving along those waterways is a great way to run into wildlife uh, yeah. in, in any case. That's certainly the downside to uh, hunting in barren mountain lion country. On one hand, you want to be stealthy, but on the other hand, you know you shouldn't be. So. Oh yeah, and you know I'm not too worried about the black bears. It's it's the lions that give me the creeps. You know, the, so the, that's, that's, that's what I get paranoid about. Not that you ever see them, but that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah. For me, it's always been the opposite. I've been. I don't know why. I just are more concerned about the bears and the mountain lions and maybe that's because i've never seen a mountain lion but i've certainly seen bears and i've seen them relatively close um they weren't causing any harm but 
Sure. Well, most of the black bears out here, you can kind of like clap and yell at, and they they run up a tree, and you don't see them again. They're not uh, they're not exactly grizzlies uh, in <laughs> in de- demeanor or or reaction to anything that you do. Yeah, uh, I I did run into a couple moose up in uh, Estes in an alpine lake once. I got pictures of that. Um, nice. Yeah. So it was. Um, we were in. Um, actually, we ran into them twice. We were uh, fishing, I think it was the outflow, and it was just starting to rain and just almost snow a little bit. And then a, 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 a moose came up, and I got it on video. It was, came up, drank a little bit, and crossed the water. And then later, when we came out of there and we were fishing the lake a little bit, two of them came out, and they started um, eating on the vegetation underneath the water. And, and uh, that was a little, I mean... I think when they're in the, when the, there were 40, it was 40 yards from us when it popped out of the brush and crossed the creek we were fishing. And they were probably 70, 80 yards from us um, when they popped into the lake. Um, we just slowly backed up from there and we really didn't have any problems. Sure. You still want to still want to be mindful of your surroundings. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. They're big creatures. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, maybe let, let's um, let's talk a little bit more about um, the fishing part of this, I guess. Um, you know, re- rewinding when you kind of started and you, and you started leading in, you mentioned you liked uh, or got into tent car because it was simple. Yes. Um, how long have you been doing tent car and, you know, what, what's your kind of tent car life story? I've, I've been doing it a little bit before, a little bit over 10 years now um, is about when I started with it. And, and the, I started, so the story is, how I got into fly fishing is almost how I evolved into the car a little bit. And, and I always was curious about fly fishing and a friend of mine had asked me if I wanted to uh, go with him to go see his brother in Colorado a couple days, maybe do a little fishing trip. No big deal. Yeah, that's no, I'd love to. And, and airfare was down. We flew out there. His brother and father was going to pick us up from the airport. And then we were just going to do a little quick trip on the river. Well, the quick trip on the river is they picked us there. They dropped us off, and they had two boats ready to float the Gunnison River. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> they were getting out um, some gear from the truck, and he put a spin rod in my hands, and then he got out a fly rod for himself. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've always wanted to learn how to do that. Um, do you think maybe you can show me on this trip? And he says, well, if you're going to do that, I better get you another rod. And he pulls out one more rod from the truck. He goes, this is my wife's rod. She'll kill me if anything happens to it, if it's her favorite rod. Um, you know, I said, well, no problem. And so here we are, never floated a river before. I'm on a drift boat. Um, somebody else's fly rod, which I'm not supposed to damage. And, and we're, we're going at shallows <laughs> and we're, we're fishing. Of course, I'm just flopping around like a, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but, you know, he was patient with me, and I got some decent catch in, and I got some browns out of there, and it was just a great experience. Um, and then when we were done there, and, you know, I was like, gee, these people's just a little quick outing is like guided trips people pay a lot of money for. And he said, the next day, we're just going to go do a little lake fishing. And I said, okay. With a little lake fishing, he had three ATVs set up. We drove up the Grand Mesa and we were fishing the plateau of the Mason for of, of the Grand Mesa for uh, cutthroats and just catching them like crazy mm-hmm. um, on the fly rod. So it, so that's how I started fly fishing. And then fast hey, forward, Tom, yeah. Do you remember what lake that was? Because like I literally live 15 minutes from the top of Grand Mesa right now. So the, the answer is I don't, and it's not <laughs> that we didn't have names of the lakes. They were all numbered. We what we did, oh. is, yeah. They, we were we went down this horse trail, but we were using ATVs. You, it wasn't a jeep trail; it wasn't that big. And you'd get up, yeah. the, you, you we passed this caretaker's house, and I the, and once you pass that caretaker's house, and I don't know, he was up. They stationed him up there for half the year to monitor water levels, and I don't know exactly what he was monitoring, but that's what he did. His job was to take a call. Go measure some water levels, report back, and that was it. it that was just a few hours of the day. Um, and on the weekends, he was able to drive down because they didn't need his help on the weekends. And the weekends, he, he took his ATV or his horse, and he went down into town, and that's where he spent his time. And he did that for like half the year during the summer months. But once you pass that, the lakes were labeled lake number one, lake number two. And we all we fished all the way up to lake number seven. 
and then we worked out. <laughs> so there was no names. They just lake one, lake two, just random lakes. All right. Well, I'll take a look around for that. <laughs> but that is an awesome area. I mean, if that's where you settled up, I can see where you would be happy for a lifetime in that area. It's great. Yeah, there's no shortage of, of really exciting fisheries within a couple hours in, in just about any compass direction. Uh, like definitely more than uh, more than a lifetime's worth of exploration. Uh, but I'll try. I'll do my best. Yeah. <laughs> so, so after after that, you know, I got the tinkara rod and I started tinkara fishing. I mean, no, no, I, I got the fly fishing rod and I started fly fishing. And um, you know, I was just so enamored with trout country it's what it decided to let me explore the trout we had here in, our, in my home state and led me that trout stream that was three hours away and we fished that a few times and then when i seen tinkara hit the scene i was I, I gotta try one of these it looks fun it seems to fit in with what i'm doing um and um i got one and i was up there with my buddy but i didn't tell him that i had my uh had purchased a tinkara rod i didn't know what his reaction would be <laughs> as I was fishing downstream and I got out of sight, I got it out and started playing with it and caught some fish and I was really happy. And I just, you know, four or five fish in, I knew this, this is for me, this is where it's going to be. And then turn around and I looked upstream and here he's coming right around the corner and I got the, 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 the Tinkara rod out and he gets this look on his face. I go, oh, okay, here comes the fun. And I didn't even know he'd heard of Tinkara or knew of it. And I said, well, here, here comes the fun making. Here we go. And he goes, when did you get a Tinkara rod? And I go, how do you even know what a Tinkara rod is? He goes, I've been wanting one, but I didn't know what people would think. And I said, well, get on over here and, and uh, you know, get, get some practice around that. So we just fished Tinkara, you know, alternated between the rod and fished it for the rest of the day. And we had a blast. And uh, he quickly got one, and I quickly got one. And uh, really, I mean, I'll, I'll fish all different types of fly fishing styles, but um, I purposely try to seek out water where tinkara works because it's just to me it's just that much fun um and that's certainly my favorite type of fishing um waters that a nice decent long you know your average 12 13 footers and some line that you can fish comfortably i mean in in trout country gotcha. um, that's that's i there's plenty of it in the united states that's my favorite type of fishing right now and i could i could you know, if anybody had to say what's one style would you want, that would be what I'd do. Got it. Now, we, we can talk about, I guess, the rods a little bit when we talk a little bit more about your company in, in a second. But um, in terms of, like, your, your ideal setup or the setup that you like to use, what, what does that look like? You know, what length rod, what length line, and, and what sort of fly? So, as the general consensus is in Tinkara, use the longest rod that you can get away using. Um, and I certainly try to do that. Um, for me, 12, 13 foot rods, um, that's certainly what I enjoy using. Um, level lines, I like level lines the best. I tend to default to a 3.5 line um, just because it kind of does everything nicely for me and I don't have to carry extra spools. But of course, I do go higher and lower as conditions you know, dictate or even just what I want to experiment with dictates. So a good 12, 13 foot rod. Um, if the conditions warrant it, um, nice level line 3.5. Um, and also, uh, as far as what flies I like to use, um, I'm not, I like the traditional Kabari and, and the Japanese flies for the history that they bring. It, it's, it's a deep dive. I love exploring that history. I love fishing that way. So in some days I just say, I want to do traditional Tenkara and I want to practice that craft. And that's what I do. And then other days, it's, um, I don't care. Um, there, you know, there's, there's a, a fly that was working that's non-traditional or um, I'm develop, I, a technique. Maybe I'm sure everybody's manipulated a fly every which way they could by now. But sometimes I'm, you know, manipulating a fly and I'm thinking this is ridiculous. This is never going to work. And then, you know, all of a sudden I start hitting fish right and left like crazy. Right, and, uh, and I like. Oh, I. You feel like you discovered something new, but um, you probably didn't. You know. <laughs> yeah, and let's be honest. Like some days, you just want to fish a certain way. Like yeah. you know, it's not always about manipulations or whatever. While they are really effective, some days you might want to fish dries, or yeah. you know, maybe the water's up and you're like, ah, 
you know, I want to fish nymphs today or whatever it is. Um, there's yeah. obviously nothing wrong with that. And I think the, the, um, you know, the flexibility, no pun intended of a 10 car rod, you know, allows you to, you know, do a ton of different applications with it. So it's cool to hear that you, you know, kind of experiment and do a lot of different things as well. One thing I'm also, the one thing I'm starting to appreciate though, whether it's traditional, um, Kabari type flies or not, but I'm starting to really enjoy simple flies, you know, like, you know, using the, the, the yarn, you know, like on killer buggers, but even expanding from there, um, or, um, just, you know, one or two ingredients, like there's a fly pattern, a marabou leech, which is just the marabou tail and the marabou wrapped up the hook, um, and tied off. Mm -hmm. and that is super effective, you know, and when you start catching, you know, not only trout, but for me, bluegill, crappie, and all kinds of other species, right and left, on just the simplest of flies that are tied with one or two materials, maybe three at the most, kind of makes you wonder why you sit down and you watch, you know, <laughs> you know like like the game changer. I've, I've tried, yeah. tried one of them, I'm like, I'm, I'm 45 minutes into a fly, I'm sure to lose the first five minutes on the water, and it just... <laughs> So, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm lying right now is, um, you know, really deep diving into the history of Tinkara because I think it's, I think it makes you, I think it makes you a better angler. Yeah. I would agree. Um, you know, just, you know, just a hit couple of really simple flies and on top, on the bottom, manipulating them, skittering them, just studying what some of the masters have done. Um, you can carry that over to nymph fishing on some degree. And when your dry fly starts to sink, well, you have another, that's just another option for you. You can fish it slightly below the surface and manipulate it a little bit. And you can pick up a ton of strikes doing that. And a lot of people think when your dry fly starts to sink that you need to tie on another fly or dry it out or whatever you got to do. But I encourage people just to, Play an experiment. There's, there's just if Tenkara is showing me everything, that's showing me that there's just no rules. Yeah, and that's not that's not me not having the rules. That's kind of, in my opinion, the master's not having any rules. Speaking of not having any rules, you actually you did a, a an interview for us um, with an Austrian angler, uh, Bernard uh, Niedermeyer. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, and what did he he catches pike with with his well I call them fixed line rods I don't think he's actually tankara fishing if we're getting technical at that yeah point. Um, but I mean that's pretty impressive stuff uh, yeah I would agree I mean I mean that's why I wanted to do that interview I just I think it dispels a lot of myths of what a tankara rod or a fixed line rod or or just that method of fishing can do for you um, but it also clearly demonstrates how you got to be cognizant of what the rods are capable of. He even mentions that interview where, you know, that, you know, being on the water in a float tube created drag that acted kind of like a drag where if your feet were firmly planted, you'd have to work with the fish downstream. And if you ever hit a barrier or, or some, something you couldn't overcome and that fish decided to run on you, then it probably could have, you know, broken the rod. Sure. Um, so I just think it just goes to show how far you can push some of our gear, but it also shows that you need to do so smartly and with a lot of experience um, to, to know what you can do. And uh, I was really surprised that he was able to land that and the secret was being in a float tube. And as that fish ran from him to be able to use the fins of the float tube to kick and provide, keep up with it while providing a little bit of resistance. Um, so in other words, acting like a light drag instead yeah. of just having that, you know, thing, just feel the hook dig deeper because there's a lot of pressure and then just make a big, you know, chattering run. But that's experience. That's experience from the angler. And I, I know that's, that's just a good example by not following a traditional Japanese type mentality opens up a whole different way of using that type of gear. And it also shows you, I mean, if you're fishing with Western fly rod, the, the, the um, lesson would be just as valuable to, to help land that big fish as well. So absolutely. Well, cool. Well, we talk a lot. Interesting. About you know, I go ahead, Matt. Oh, uh, so, you know, back in the day when, uh, when I was slinging rods, uh, there was a, a customer that, well, basically, uh, he did almost exclusively flow tube fishing, and uh, his his deal was basically he would stock the docks uh, of uh, of the lakes, uh, you know, about twenty thirty feet out, and uh, 
you know, they just use a nice side cast to skip poppers up underneath the, uh, the docks into the shade, uh, where, as he would say, it would just get absolutely crushed by bass. Uh, I, I think, uh, there's, there's a lot to be explored yet in the float tube fishing, uh, with, with fixed line rods. And the, the longer rod gives a really interesting, uh, leverage aspect to being able to do that. Uh, so I, 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 I myself, you know, I've got a, I've got a tube and I'm, I'm looking to maybe get into some more, uh, situations with that, but I would really love, you know, to hear more about, uh, you know, whatever you're hearing, Tom, from, from, uh, the people fishing your rods now, uh, or just anybody out there listening to this, it's working float tubes. Uh, yeah, let us know how that's going and, and how you're doing it. Uh, we'd be really interested. Well, Matt, I actually use a float tube myself. I do float tube fish, um, with the Tinkar uh -huh. rod. It's, it's a lot of fun. I highly encourage it. And, for me, it's so when you're still water fishing, at least for me, this is how I view it. And I view it a lot like, you know, traditional bow hunting. You need to observe your area. You need to, you know, look for habitat. You need to set up on that habitat. Um, you just need to be a much more uh, a student of the environment and of the game itself. So when I'm out on the shore still water fishing, I'm always looking for those weed lines, the drop-off points, the fallen timbers, just looking for habitat, and then knowing how fish will react in that habitat, right. um, try to make concentrated focus to casting to those areas. Turn that to the float tube. The float tube is just, for me, the same thing as shoreline stocking, but on the water. It just gives me more versatility. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, you know, naturally I'll, I'll kick the boat to a position without being too stealthy. But when I get in the position, you know, it's really just little flutters of the feet, staying away from the environment, casting to it. Um, just a, it just feels like a spot and stop, uh, a spot and stop type of hunt to me, like I would with a longbow. Um, hmm. Yeah, so it, it just adds another dynamic, and I really enjoy it. I, I think it's a potentially an aspect of the sport that I think people can uh, grow on. What kind of uh, rod and rating do you use when you're fishing that way, Tom? It, it depends on what I'm in the mood to do. So if I'm, and I'm going to talk about my rods here because naturally that's what I use when I'm going out, but I would say that any company's rods that kind of meet these specifications would work equally well. So when I want to throw the poppers and I um, and I want to go for some extra distance, my personal setup, I like to use our Wisco 2, the 13-foot model. So my PVC line and, um, you know, and a, and a bigger bass fly. It just throws that type thing real well for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm in the mood for panfish. Like when I was going out there and I was, you know, crappie fishing um, during the spring, I went to, I went to, I frequently use the scout or the bad axe. You know, again, let's not get caught up on them being my rods as much as their, you know, a 10 and 11 foot model. I went with some level lines and frequently just a traditional Japanese Kabari because it just works great for panfish. And we were just, oh yeah. Yeah. Crappie right and left. Um, nice finesse. You can manipulate it. You can hold it in the strike zone. And once you find where they're biting, I mean, you know, it's, it, you can just really hit an area real fast and just have a lot of fun. So um, that doesn't mean I didn't pick up some bass on the level line and, and on, you know, you know, on the scout and, and it handled it fine. And that doesn't mean why I'm out there, I don't pick up an aggressive bluegill or, or some other small panfish on the Wisco and that's fine as well. Um, but again, it's, it's more just about exploring and having fun. It's, am I in a bass mood? Am I in a panfish mood? Am I in a, you know, sometimes I frequently I go out, I, I pass a local lake on my way home from work every day. So I just keep the gear in there, pop out for an hour and a half. And I just make it about a quick pan fishing trip from shore. And then when I have more time and I get the float tube out, just because I have more time, then I want to maybe concentrate on bass. But it's just about what I in the mood for more than anything else. Right on. That's really cool. Um Maybe we can actually talk about your gear a little bit. I know you, you've kind of been keeping it a little bit general uh, to this point, obviously, but I, I'm curious. So obviously you were, you know, into Tenkar and into fixed line fishing. What made you want to, you know, kind of make the leap into being a, I guess, vendor seller of, um, you know, Tenkar rods? And I guess it's kind of unique that we have Matt on here, you know, since he was, you know, one of the Badger Tenkara guys before you took over those rod, those rod uh, designs. So I, I don't know. Why don't you run us through that a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. So as I got more and more into Tenkara and abandoned my, a little bit more my Western style fly fishing more and more, I just thought that this would be a fun space to be into. And I was trying to, because, you know, it, like I said, I'm in the world of finance. I work with small businesses and some entrepreneurs and stuff frequently. But I was always just thinking about what niche could I fill? Could I fill a publication or a blog? Or could I fill supporting goods and services? You know, maybe not rod themselves, but whatever the community needed. You know, I was constantly exploring options. Um, of course, Tinkara being so simple, you're not going to really open up a rod store with, you know, eight different weights of rods, 16 different types of reels to go with them, 40 different types of fly lines, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to, to find that niche in, in a space that's so simple. But I was always looking for it, you know. And even at one time I was like, maybe I should just bring rods to market. But just doing my due diligence, it just felt like a crowded space. And sure. I still was a little bit of a crowded space. Um, and I just didn't want to do it a disservice by bringing yet another Johnny come lately type rod to the market. So I was still exploring options. How could I get into the space and, and add some value and, and more for myself? You know, I, I didn't think that I had something special to offer the community as much as, you know, how could I play and how could I have a little fun? How can I encourage others to have fun as well? And then when I seen that Badger was um, getting out of the space, um, I just shot off a message to Matt and I said, hey, would you guys be interested in maybe entertaining this? Um, and he was, thank goodness. And it's kind of history right there. And, and that prevented me from not only not having to bring another rod line to market, but it also allowed me to continue servicing customers that were in that space and sure, keep supporting yeah. them. So not only did it feel like that I wasn't personally encroaching on what was already out there, but I was also doing a service by continuing what was already out there as far as servicing. So it just, you know, that was really, that was really uh, important to me, Tom. And uh, I, did, I just, you know, wanted to say this publicly that it means a lot to me that uh, you were able to step up and continue to provide service uh, to the community that had already purchased and is using those rods. Uh, I think you found that they, they typically love them. Uh, so yeah. I'm really glad that uh, they're going to get to continue to use them. So thanks for that. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it's nice. Um, you know, we've certainly serviced them. We certainly help, you know, with repairs and replacements um, since I've been in the space. But you're right. It's not like, well, this rod finally broke and I'm glad because I didn't like it. Everybody's like, I want to keep using this rod. I, I want to find the replacements parts. This thing's been by my side for however many years now. And it's my favorite rod. That doesn't mean it's necessarily better than everybody else's rod. It's, but it's just the one they have and they love it and they're comfortable with it as well. So um, that's a testament to the designs and, and what Matt and Badger started as well. Yeah, the cool thing I've always appreciated about the Badger rods and now obviously your rods is the price points as well. You know, it's a great entry level. You know, it's not a rod where somebody might, now obviously 10 car rods are a lot less expensive than some of your top of the line fly rods, but it's still not intimidating. It's not a 300 or a $500 rod and kind of get in get the lay of the land and understand, you know, what fixed line fishing is all about. So with that being said, I was wondering, you know, we see a lot, particularly on social media, somebody posts, you know, Hey, I want to get into Tenkara, but what rod should I get? And then the comment section becomes a whole mess because everybody's raising their hand and suggesting something. It probably depends a little bit on what species they want to catch or where they live, but what would you recommend, you know, to somebody who wanted to, you know, kind of dip their toe into Tenkara or fixed line fishing and, and what rods from your line do you think would be the best, you know, kind of fit for them? Well, you know, and I get that question. I get that question emailed to me and I get that question messaged to me as well. So like you just mentioned, the first questions are, what are you going to do with it? Um, and if you're going to be, you know, you know, if you want to, you know, stay close to more of like a, a still water fishing experience and you want to have some versatility between panfish and bass type of deal, um, and you still want to be able to have a traditional Tenkara experience, but um, expand in some non-traditional areas. I really like that classic for that. That, that mm -hmm. classic, the good all-around rod, is, as it is in a lot of different manufacturers' line, that standardized 12-foot. Um, I just feel that the classic from Tenkara Adventure Outfitters is a little bit more robust than some of the other 12-foot rods you might find on the market. Not all, I mean, but a lot of them. 
So I think that's where I get some versatility between you can practice a traditional technique or you can kind of load it up and go for some bigger species and not be too worried about it. Um, then again, if you just want to stay kind of like true to a, you know, a nice six weight level line, want to just go for some bass for sure and, and bigger trout, I, I really like the Wisco for that. Um, again, it's really up to what the customer, I mean, that would go on a small um, freestone stream is just certainly overkill. It's not what you'd want to use it for. Sure. But, you know, as Bernard's shown in, in his uh, pictures, um, they were great on still waters and bigger species. And he was throwing a level line too, if, I mean, a PVC line too, if I'm not mistaken, and, and a bigger streamer. Um, and it excels for that. Um, and then going down from there, um, if you want versatility, um, we, we like the bad axe for that. That bad axe is at home on a freestone stream, and I've also had really good luck with it on um, Stillwater as well. Um, on some of our social media, you'll see that bad axe in a lot of the pictures um, supporting different species. And uh, then rounding that out, the UNC and the Scout. Those are the that Scout is really what I like on the smaller freestone streams. Um, that's got a nice profile to it it's really light in the hand um it handles a lot of different um, areas very well um i really enjoy that rod all around it's what's normally in my hand like if i go to the drift list that scout's normally in my hand yeah. um and uh and then the unc is even for that small choked areas um there's this one i can't remember where it's at probably better that i don't mention even if i could remember it but it's it was just a small little stream, four inch, four inch, five inch fish all day as much as you wanted. Um, that UNC was fun for that. And of course, we even have Matt started this. What Carlos down in Brazil, Matt? I don't know. I mean, he's a fan. He uses that UNC for just about everything. Yeah, you know that was that was a curveball. Carlos got a hold of me. Uh, he lives in Brazil and he fishes out of his kayak for the most part in salt water. And he said, I, I, I really want, I'm really interested in one of your rods. And I instantly assumed he meant the Wisco because he was talking about going after snook and tarpon. And uh, he said, no, I, I want that UNC because I cast so much because he throws these little poppers out uh, very quickly with not a lot of presentation time. And he said, you know, I want this short, light rod because then I can do that all day and not get tired. And lo and behold, you know, a month later, I'm getting pictures of 15, 16-inch snook and tarpon getting pulled in on this little eight-and-a-half-foot rod out of, like, mangrove swamps and all these incredible places in Brazil. That guy is really uh, pushing the limits of, of what can be done with those rods. It's, it's super exciting. I got an interview with him now that I want to, you know, release to the magazine, just like we did with Bernard's. I'm editing it. Um, and he mentions during that interview that another reason that he likes the UNC is, and not is because it's a shorter rod and he's always fishing the shorelines and there's a lot of wind there. Yeah. And, um, you know, just having, you know, three, four feet less rod and of course mm -hmm. a little bit less line just helps him throw a, a line a little bit better in the coastal wind areas. And, and he, he enjoys it a lot. I've not tried to sell them another rods, but I've said, you know, if you, if there's another rod that you would enjoy or wanted to try, let me know. And he says, what well, it's basically, why would I want to try any other rod when this one does me so well across everything? Um, which I think goes around to what we discussed earlier. That would be a non-traditional use for a sure. traditional type Tenkara rod. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, if somebody didn't, you know, if you didn't play around, you wouldn't have found what works for you. And he has, so much fun on it it sounds like you can just tell he's passionate by it when you talk to him about you know all the species that he's chases and how much fun it is and i think there's even a little bit it feels like there's even a little bit of pride about what he's able to do with it um which is one of the reasons i like fishing ted car too is just when you can do with a fixed line 10 12 13 foot fixed line rod what the guy working the shoreline down from you on his ranger bass boat's doing um that's just a good feeling I, it's just pride of ownership that you have those skills and you can do that yeah sure. so let, let me let me ask you another question too because i actually i work in e-commerce and i know your, your main vehicle for selling these rods is is online i'm curious you know since the you know coronavirus has hit the country and you know everybody's having these 
you know, shelter, you know, in, in place and whatnot. You see a lot of stories about people getting to the outdoors because that's their only outlet. I'm curious, have you seen a dramatic uptick in your sales or, you know, attention to your products, in, you know, this spring? Y yes, I, I think I've seen both. I mean, we wanted to start hitting a few trade shows this year because we just acquired the company from Badger. Um, I think we kind of finalized deals around May last year, but, you know, we had to get, you know, the new product line and everything in. So we're just coming up to about one year of having product and in inventory now, or maybe about a year and a half of being an official owner of the company. So this is the first year we're going to hit some, starting to hit some trade shows. And we hit the first one early on. Um, and we, it, it was super well received. Um, not only Tinkara, but our rods, we had people out in the parking lots casting them. They really liked it. Um, people from a Western background went and picked it up and they were casting, you know, level line really easy, real fast. And we did really good at that show, getting the word out and the course in sales. And then everything started shutting down, including a lot of recreational areas, um, a lot of mm -hmm. state parks and recreational areas and campgrounds and, it felt like there was somewhat of a turn down. I mean, not having a few years of, you know, the business cycle behind me, it was kind of hard to judge, but it just felt like um, while we were still doing well, it just felt like it could be better. And then you could see when the restrictions started to lift across the country, at least how are the restrictions as far as, you know, recreation and state parks and that kind of thing, it really did explode for us. So you could just kind of tell that there seems to be a tie in with the virus and it had some adverse impact and then it had some really great um, impact as well. So we'll have to see how it compares next year when hopefully there's no virus around. Yeah. Yeah. I don't wish sales to go down by any degree, but I obviously would love things to get back to normal sooner than later. Um, do you have any future plans um, in, in store for, for, for your company? Uh, I know, right. We talked about um, float tubes. Are we going to see float tubes for sale on your site? Yeah. Anytime soon? Anything like that? You, you know, I'm not saying that you wouldn't. I don't think we have a plan to break <laughs> We did meet a, vi a gentleman um, at the trade show, and he carries an ultralight float tube model, and this thing is airline carry-onable right down to the pump to inflate it. It is crazy. Nice. Um, you would be nothing to pack this around with you all day. and course the downsize is the pumps is not you know those big foot pumps that you use so i mean it's about five minutes to inflate it but right. it's handheld but it's still high volume and i would love to somehow come to a partnership agreement with him um and we've talked about it a little bit he's just a little tight on his margins um because it's all made in america all you know hand hand done it's it's really quite a product um but yeah i'd love to maybe get into that space a little bit i think it adds value but some of the things we're other working on without giving away the farm is yes, we definitely want to try to get into some uh, soft goods. We have some idea for some soft goods, not not clothing, but some soft goods that would help support Tinkara. Um, mm. We're kind of developing Dear. that. Mm. <laughs> we're kind of developing that a little bit. Um, again, it's a, you know a lot of it's a matter of time and prototyping, and you know getting some local seamstresses to um, make us some models and that our local seamstresses are, you know, talking about the coronavirus again, Mike, she's making bank on making masks. Oh. Um, yeah, she's made, yeah. yeah, so she's got all the mask work she can do, and so do a lot of other people in the area. Um, they're just making masks right and left. They're even having mask garage sales. In our My wife is one of those people. She said she has an Etsy shop, and yeah. she sells a lot of masks. She's in the other room sewing right now, actually, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've seen, I've seen it advertised locally all the time, you know, 200 masks ready to go, drop by Saturday, 9 to 5, and they just set up racks in their front yard and people go clean them out. And, and uh, yeah, so so that it's kind of hard to get some uh, designs done um, without, you know, some seamstresses that can, and I can do it. I'll just sew my finger to something. I, you know, I'd never get it off. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's that. And of course, we got some ideas for some rods. Um, you know, the, the key for us is to bring something different to the market. Yeah. You know, I, it doesn't have to be a top seller. I don't have to move 10,000 units. I mean, that would be nice, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to, you know, really fill niches and add value is what we want to do. And we got some ideas there where some some explored actions and links that aren't yet out there yet might, um, might work um, as, as well. 
Um, so that's kind of what we're working on now. And I think Matt can attest to that. That's a little bit of a longer process than one would think, um, prototyping out rods and getting something. Certainly. That, yeah. I mean, and, and especially when you're working with, you know, manufacturers on the other side of the world, uh, there's, there's a, uh, there's, there's a, well, I don't even know how to describe it except for good luck, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't want to make it sound that I don't want to make it sound that bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, like I, I, I would agree with Tom, and I, I don't think a lot of people realize the the uh, level of coordination and communication and testing that goes into putting these rods onto the market. You know, they look relatively uh, simple. You know, it's a fish line telescopic rod with no reel, but in reality, there's there's a lot of work that goes into it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear. Uh, that you're digging into that, Tom, and I'm, I'm excited to see what the TAO comes up with. Yeah. And I might, you know, certainly, you know, anybody in the industry, I might, I might, you know, pick their brains and let them, uh, you know, maybe have a prototype when we get some in and, you know, see what they think, you know, I mean, I just because I like it or I want it doesn't mean that's what the community wants. So certainly some advice would always be welcomed. And, um, you know, and that's just true of, you know, anybody out in the community if you find that there's a niche that's not being met or a product that you'd like to see brought to market or um whatever the case may be i encourage them to speak up in all the platforms you know let the manufacturers know what they'd like to see um and you know yes. yeah talking about what we're doing what else we'd like to do i mean outside of just trying to bring something new and innovative to market and being always you know cognizant of that and you know and getting input on what that might look like I think sometimes we just lose the fact that it's just fun. You know, I just, I want to definitely make sure we get our rods to like um, where I live. There's always a big outdoor expo that the States puts on, you know, women and youth and it tracks 10, 12,000 people um, every year. And it's not going on this year. Unfortunately, it would be in September, but um, you know, we, we just want to be at those type of events representing Tenkara as a whole. You know, we just want to help the sport grow as well. Um, and just show what it's all about and how much fun that it is. Um, that's that's equally important than just bringing out the next greatest twelve foot something. No, that's awesome. We'll we'll definitely keep an eye on you know what you guys have coming out. I'm kind of interested interested to see now that you dropped a couple of hints. Yeah. Um, let, let's have some fun, I guess, ourselves, right? We've been talking, you know, a lot about fishing and whatnot. You know, let's maybe flip it over to a couple, you know, more fun questions to end the interview. So. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, obviously you're a big outdoorsman. Um, you fish seems like in a lot of different places. Uh, I'm curious if you have a favorite species, um, or fish or region or something to fish in. And do you have a dream fishing destination? I, I do, um, both of them. So for me, it's still what got me excited about, you know, fly fishing to car in the first place. And that is trout country that's what i call it and i know it's not I'm not coining the term but trout country wherever trout live it is fun it's exciting it's wild it's free it's um um and the fish are beautiful and the surroundings are beautiful and i just for now can't get enough of that um so not only do i want to go to my old favorite haunts you know in the front range of the rockies and the driftless and down the Ozarks, but I'd love to, you know, explore those creeks and, and stuff, you know, upstate California, Appalachian area, those kinds of areas as well. I mean, I think a guy could spend a lifetime doing that for sure. Um, but I also have, I mean, I will get out for, and we just discussed that before we started the interview, I will get down to Florida and I will try to chase some peacock bass sometime <laughs> down there. Um, We'll see what's available, but um, I'm guessing I might have to switch to Western gear for that and try maybe some flats fishing for bonefish, tarpon, that kind of thing. Um, but if there's a way, and I'm not saying I'll definitely be the one to try it. If I could try for some bonefish on a on a tinkara rod, we're going to try it. We're you know we're going to try to score on that. I think it can um, be done. I think it can be yeah. done. And, you know, maybe yeah. like a baby tarpon. Obviously, not a giant one, but if, you, if you're able yeah. to find you know, where the little baby tarpon are or something like that, I think you could probably have a good time with that. Yeah, I think those are the back of the brackish mangrovey type areas, I think, um, is, is where you start to see the smaller ones. But, yeah, I mean, I think the key is is to, uh, you know, get both styles in, in the boat with you and, and uh, play around, you know. That's um, – I would rather 
I would rather catch half as much on simpler gear and say that I've done it mm -hmm. than catch a lot more on gear where you expect you could do it. Um, that's that's the thrill. Yeah, right, rise into the challenge. I I, I did that, and uh, I think uh, I think a lot of anglers out there are are, are fishing in the same way. Uh, probably more than we see on uh, on the social media outlets. But uh, to me, I, I love seeing the the limits, the, the evolution, and the growth, uh, and the exploration of capability and and. Uh, I think you're doing a great job of pushing that. So keep up the good work. Of course, I'm a little biased. I like your product. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I think you're doing good things in the community, Tom. And uh, I think uh, having you, uh, you know, bring TAO into the mix uh, has, has been a, a very positive thing in the community. Good. good. I'm glad to hear it. And for Gavin's sakes, if, uh, if anybody doesn't think that, you know, TAO is acting in a in a manner that best represents the company. I expect people to you know to speak up. You know, we certainly want to be a great ambassador to the sport um, and to other anglers as well. That's that's certainly what's first and foremost of importance to us. So, um, well, you're well on your way to that. Yeah, if anybody doesn't think that we are, I I encourage feedback. You know, message through social media, email through the website, everything. I mean, we'll we will take all direction and guidance we can get. You know. It's a small niche community, and we want to make sure that we take care of that niche. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome that you take the feedback from people and, and try to take action on it. Um, do you have? Do you support any conservation-based initiatives? Are there any organizations that you you're a member of or would champion? Yeah, yeah, um, we we do. Um, and the downside to that is actually through um, my my work in the finance world, and I won't name names, I got to really deep dive with a very large conservation organization um, and got to see how I wasn't impressed with the way that they handled um, the public's money, how they were trusted to that. Um, that doesn't mean they didn't do some good things. I just felt that they could have done a lot more good things. So I'm very selective on who I partner with. And, and saying that, um, where we're putting a lot of focus these days, uh, for me, it's either habitat um, habitat or access um, because you can't have access without habitat and you can't have habit, if you have habitat, but you can't access it, certainly what's the, what's the point of that? So I really look for companies that are strong in that mission. And for me right now, that's certainly um, Trout Unlimited. And it's also backcountry hunters and anglers. They do a lot of good um, access work, I feel. Um, and also that, we also like to put our efforts into local chapters. Um, you know, the hardworking men and women who are actually doing stream restoration uh, for their local chapters, that's certainly where I would like to put our resources even more than, you know, just being another small player in a very multi-million dollar pond. Um, you know, maybe helping restore a couple miles of stream, um, donating some, you know, money or some work or, or something along them lines to the hardworking people that are just doing it on their own time. Um, and that's where we're right now spending a lot of our efforts. If we were, if we we're doing anything, it's just those, those two other, those two organizations and then local chapters. Got it. That's awesome. Yeah. We'd love, if, if you ever have, you know, something that you want, you know, Tenkara Angler to be involved in, we'd love to, you know, obviously help to support that too. We have a, if you ever go to our website, we have a, you know, a section about conservation and it's one of those things that, you know, I, I feel passionate about. I'm wearing a, a native fish, you know, coalition hat right now. Um, you know, I'd love to see, um, you know, we be spoken a lot more of in our industry. I think a lot of people really focus on the rods and the lines and they kind of ignore the fish in the habitat that they live in. So um, yeah. if we could work together, we'd love to do that. And it's also just, it all starts with water. I mean, everything starts with the water. And a lot of that water, if not all of it, doesn't come from, you know, the headwaters of the cold water fisheries, or at least a lot of it. Um, so that's, that's where it starts for me. You know, good, clean water and uh, protecting the habitat and conservation that goes along with it. Totally agree. Uh, all right, I have two, two more questions, Greg. I can't believe we've been talking for an hour already. It's going by really quick. Um, one, um, and I, I'll ask this of everybody, everybody that I've had an interview with, you've been 
lot of outdoor places. Has, have you ever seen a Bigfoot? I have not seen a Bigfoot. Even Bigfoot. Tell me yes. I've heard a lot of things that I could say might have been a Bigfoot, but I've never seen a Bigfoot. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll count heard, smelled, tasted, touched, as well as seen. Just, just to qualify this. <laughs> and you can't take a picture of one. It's impossible to take a clear picture of one. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a very big cryptid guy. You can probably tell I'm wearing a, or see, see I'm wearing a Chupacabra t-shirt um, <laughs> right now. I always like to ask people that, um, you know, if, if they do believe in Bigfoot. So is that a yes or a no? I've no, I've never seen one as far as do I believe. So I'm, I'm a big, um, I, I keep an open mind on most things until they're either proved or disproved. So since a Sasquatch has not been proved or disproved, I am going to stay neutral on it. I'm going to say the possibility exists. So if that's believing, then yes. That's I'll good because you. as we discussed earlier, you know, as you're stealthily moving along the waterways, that's, that's a perfect opportunity to encounter wildlife. So Tinkara anglers are more likely to encounter Sasquatches than other anglers. You're right. You're right. And they're probably more scary than a bear. <laughs> Probably, but I yeah. I mean, I but if I could be the first outdoors company that could get a selfie with Sasquatch, I'm going to be famous. I'm all in. Uh, <laughs> if I can make it happen. I'm going to get it done, and I'm going to give Tinkara Angler the first shot at the at the picture in the interview. Excellent. We love it. We love it. <laughs> well, cool. Last question I have for you: Is there anything that we um, didn't talk about that you'd like to um, you know add or or discuss? Well, in anticipation of that question, I kind of worked a little bit of that in during the interview. And like I said, I would really, for me personally, this is about adventure and a simplistic, accessible adventure. Um, like I had mentioned a couple of different times and even before we started recording this, um, I want the bluegill at your local pond to feel like your bass from your $40,000 ranger. And I want your bass from your float tube to feel like your tarpon out in the Florida Keys. Um, and that, for me, that's part of what Tinkara brings to the table. It brings, you know, when you scale down your gear, whether it be your guns or whether it be your bows or whether it be your fishing equipment, when you scale that down, it's just so much more exciting. Yeah. And that's what I would like to encourage people to consider in their outdoor pursuits. Um, for example, if you stay in a canvas tent, you get to hear the coyotes. You get to hear the raccoons rustling in your chips. You get to hear the rain. <laughs> on, yeah, you get to hear the rain on the canvas, right? If you stay in your RV, you get to see and hear some of that. If you stay in the hotel in town, you get to see and experience none of that. And at the end of three days, what was your biggest adventure? For me, it's always been staying in that canvas tent. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's, you know, that's how I personally view the outdoors, uh, canvas tents, simple fishing gear, um, a kayak out on or float tube out, either one on a, on, with the sun rising on a flat still water lake. Um, it's for me, it's not, that doesn't mean I don't, I've not fished from technological um, options. That doesn't mean I've not used really high-end firearms in my hunting, but um, normally I migrate to that when the need requires it. You know, if you're on a big lake um, and you've got a 20-minute drive with a with a 100-horsepower engine, well, then you need a boat. Um, but until you need that, go as simple as you can. Uh, and that's what I encourage everybody to think about in their outdoor pursuits. And that's as what, as a company, we represent. Um, when you scale it down, your adventures get bigger, faster, and more easily accessible. I like it. That's a great viewpoint. Scale it down, your adventures get bigger. I love that. I love that. It's really good. Excellent. Um, last thing, I mean, uh, obviously you sell rods. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you and uh, Tinkara Adventure Outfitters? Well, you can certainly find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, and you can find us on our webpage, um, um, taotinkara.com, I believe it is. I probably should have looked that up, but certainly a Google search for uh, Tinkara Adventure <laughs> Outfitters would um, get you to our webpage. And, um, I, I like to think we're uh, one of the things that we also like to do on our social media is we like to share other people's successes. Like I said, this is about the anglers. This is about the adventure. This is about their experiences. 
So anybody that's using a, a, a Badger rod or a Tincard Venture Outfitters rod, always welcome the pictures, always welcome the stories. Feel free to send them to us on our social media or email them to us. Um, we'll certainly make sure they get posted and your, and your stories get heard because it's really about the public and the anglers more than it's about us as a company. Well, that was awesome, man. This time went by so fast. Uh, I had a real, a yeah, lot. no doubt. I, I hope you did too. I just wanted to thank you, um, you know, Tom for joining Matt and myself tonight and you know, hopefully we can do this again in the future sometime. Uh, hey, you know, my pleasure. Any way I can help, um, you know, either the magazine or, or anything, just let me know. I'll be more than glad to help. Absolutely. We love, awesome. we love thank you tom oh thank you man i appreciate it cool thanks everybody thanks yeah. all right catch y'all next time <laughs>